153 BC, which makes that 2,161 years ago. Makes you feel young, doesn't it? 2,161 years ago, the Romans devised the basis for our modern-day calendar. And in doing that, they named a number of the months. And since that time, the calendars changed, and months have been added, and things have been revised. But when they did that, they named the month of January, which we just started. And they named it for their god, Janus. Not spelled Janus like the woman's name, but J-A-N-U-S, which is where we get January from. And their god, Janus was the god of beginnings and of doorways and of entrances. And the interesting thing about Janus was that he had two faces, one on the front of his head and one on the back of his head. You know, like moms have eyes in the back of their heads. Well, the god Janus supposedly really did. And the, the thing about him was he would look where he was going while at the same time looking at where he'd been. And that's something that we do around New Year is we look at the year that had just happened, and we look at the year that's about to happen, and a lot of times we say, okay, things happened in this past year that I don't want to have happen again. Or maybe things happened this past year that I do want to have happen again. So it's a time of year when we figure out how we can, based on what's happened in the past, make the new year the way that we want it. And one of the things that we do is we make resolutions. Who made a New Year's resolution this year? No one. Wow. I did. Charlie did. I'm always trying to better my spiritual life. It's not easy, but it's, I, I work on fear and trembling. Absolutely. I do too. With fear and trembling is, is exactly the way to do it. And I make resolutions every year. Sometimes they stick, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're more about me, sometimes they're more about other people, but I make New Year's resolutions as a regular thing. And I made some of them this year. Some of them I made for me, some of them I made with other people, different things, but New Year's resolutions are a popular thing. And there's some New Year's resolutions that you hear all the time. Things like, I want to get organized, I want to spend more time helping others, I want to get out of debt, I want to quit drinking, I want to quit smoking, I want to lose weight, I want to make more time to get in shape, I want to spend more time with friends and family all different kinds of resolutions. Sometimes we say them out loud, sometimes we write them down, sometimes we just think about them and say, okay, this year is a new year, I'm gonna do this. Or sometimes we do things like that on our birthday. I know people that do that instead of when the calendar year starts, when their year starts. If you pay attention, you can see the results of these resolutions around sometimes. I go to the gym, not as part of a New Year's resolution, it's just something that I've done for years and it makes me feel good and makes me feel better and the doctor said I need to for my heart but I go to the gym and every year around this time of the year you see all kinds of new faces at the gym some of them last for a while some of them last for a day and some of them you see come in and sign up in the office and then you never see them again but Carl and I were at the gym one morning this week and we saw a lot of people there at the gym who we'd never seen before and just doing different things and and the personal trainers are all busy because they're teaching people how to do new stuff and all oh, it's it's a busy time at the gym the gym that we work out at is a little bit like a home depot if you've been inside the home depot not that there's lumber everywhere but it's got tall ceilings and you can see the rafters inside you can see what makes up the ceiling you can see the steel rafters that are up there that hold the ceiling up and like happens in home depot sometimes once in a while birds get inside 
you can see the birds flying around and they make nests up in the rafters and stuff. Not because it's not a clean gym, but just because it's a big place and they have to go and get the ladders out and sometimes it takes a while for them to get everything taken care of. Well, this morning, not this morning, but the morning we were there, there was a bird inside. We were watching the bird fly around as we were doing different things and Carl noticed it and commented on it and we were watching and we happened to look up. We were both looking at the bird as it flew by and there's windows in the gym and it was flying by right by the windows and all of a sudden just out of the blue made a sharp left turn it was trying to fly out the window bam right into the window tumbled down and landed on the ground and Carl kind of I was using one of the machines at the time so Carl kind of looked up and looked over and he said oh it's all right I can still see it breathing and then I looked up and I could see it was breathing and then we saw it start twitching and then start checking its arms, its wings out, checking its legs out. Before he knew it, it was standing up and kind of looked around and got its bearings and took off again. So we went back to what we were doing. A little while later, we heard that same thud you heard before, and there was that same bird. We both heard it, and we looked over, and we saw it just in time for it to fall down. We looked over, and it's starting to do the same thing again. Now, at that point, people came over, and one of the gym people who worked at the gym came and, and got rid of the bird. But still, here's this bird who really wanted to get outside, but couldn't get outside, at least not through the window. And I started thinking about all those people at the gym who were there trying to get somewhere, but would just wind up running into whatever, something that they didn't see, some barrier that was there, some obstacle that they just hit their head against and, and wind up back where they started, or in a worse place than where they started. And we can do the same thing sometimes, that we'll have a goal and we want to get there, but we just, we're going and going, all of a sudden, there's that window. And like the bird, a lot of times, we'll say, okay, well, I, I really want that goal, though. So we go after the goal again, and there's the window. But us being, you know, so determined, and, and it's a good goal, I, I really need to do this, into the window again. Sometimes we strive for goals that aren't the right goals. We want that new car, that new house, because we think that'll make our lives better. We think that that'll make us better people, more respectable people. We strive for selfish things. Now, we all do that at one time or another. It's just a matter of whether we'll admit it or not. But sometimes the goals that we strive for are good goals. I mean, I could strive for the goal to never put the wrong words up on the screen again. Jim could strive to make the goal to never press the wrong button on the machine again. And those are good goals. But that doesn't mean that either of us are ever going to get it right. Sometimes we make good goals, but still, we run into that window. And sometimes we make the best goals. I mean, Charlie said that he, that he makes goals about what to do with his spiritual life. But who has made a goal to read their Bible every day and then failed? I have. Who's made a goal to pray more only to find that all they really accomplished was they wake up sleeping like this in the morning with their hands folded on their chest, but they never prayed at all. They just fell asleep in a funny position. You wake up with sore arms. I have. I think... The New Year's resolutions are a good idea, and that's why I do them. And I, some of them have stuck with me for years and years and years. But I think that we should start the year thinking about making the right goals 
but not only making the right goals, but looking at what's really keeping us from achieving them. What's that thing that we run into over and over and over again? We have to make the right goals, and we also have to do whatever we can to head for the door to get to them and not for the window. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 18. And here, even though that's not, it's never said that way, if we look at what it says and think about the way Jesus responds, we find that we see some apostles wrestling with goals. They don't phrase it as such, but if we look at Jesus' response and look at what's going on there, we see that's what happens. It starts off, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At that time, the apostles came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom in heaven. He's going on about it, and they know all different things about it. He's explained it in different ways. And they're starting to get maybe an inkling of what it's really like, but still they're thinking about it in the wrong terms. Because they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were expecting a simple answer. They wanted him to say Moses or David or maybe even Elijah. And if he would have said Moses is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they all would have said, oh, Moses, okay, I understand. Or if they would have said David, they would have said, yeah, David. He was a king. He was a warrior. David, that's a great man. Or even Elijah. Maybe a little weird sometimes, but hey, look at the things that he did. Look at how powerful he was in God's spirit. That's that's what they wanted to hear. Because if that's what Jesus said, if he said David, then they'd say, okay, I need to be like David. Because their goal, their question really just wasn't, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It was, how do I become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How do I get there? How do I get up to the top? They really wanted that place of glory. That was their goal. They were looking out for themselves. And we can tell this by the way that Jesus answers. It's a way they didn't expect. He didn't tell them about the goal that they had in mind. Instead, he talked a little bit more, I think, about that window that was keeping them from getting to where they wanted to go. And then he goes on, and we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, about what those goals should be. But at first, he tells them what their problem is. In verse 2, it goes on, he says, He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about this. They just said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In effect, they're saying, you know, what do I do to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus comes to him and says, if you don't change, you ain't even getting into the kingdom of heaven. You've got the cart before the horse. You're worried about being the greatest. I'm telling you about how to even get in to start with. And that's going to require you to change. They were thinking much more highly of themselves than they ought to. In their minds, they were already in the kingdom of heaven. That was taken care of. Now all they had to worry about was how, how do I climb that ladder? How do I get to the top? How do I make myself better? Jesus says, you're not there yet. You haven't got it yet. He goes on in verse 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
The disciples need to change. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he's saying that to us, too, that we need to change our mindset. And that change has to come in the form of humility. If there's one window in every person's life that pops up and keeps us from following God, it's pride. And there's an old adage that says, if the most humble person on earth admits they're the most humble person on earth, then they're not really humble, are they? <laughs> Humility is a tough thing. And pride is a tough thing because we're supposed to think, you know, God loves us. We're special people. But we can't let that think that that means we can do it all on our own. Because that's when the problems come in. If there's one thing we keep banging our heads against without learning, it's pride. You think of that bird saying, I can get through that window. I can look outside. I can get outside. I can get outside. I can get outside. There's no way that bird was getting outside. And we come up to things and we keep saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And there's some things that, that we can't do. At least we can't do on our own. And that's the difference between pride, not saying, I can do it. It's saying, I can do it all by myself. I can do it without anyone's help. When it comes down to attaining God's goals, the things that God wants from us, we can't do it on our own. God wants it to be that way. He doesn't give us goals that we can do on our own. He doesn't set a goal of you learning to tie your shoe, because that we can do on our own. If you're following God's goals, it's something that you can't do on your own. We think we can do it without relying on God, without asking for help from others. We're setting ourselves up for failure. When we are children, we aren't afraid to ask questions. We aren't afraid to ask for help. We recognize that we're, in some ways, completely dependent on other people. We're dependent on our parents or on our siblings or on those around us because we know that we can't go out and make money. We can't get our food. We can't get our clothes. And at some point, we start to realize that. But then, somewhere along the line, we learn to do some things. Like I said, we learn to tie our shoes. We learn to pick out our own clothes. We learn to maybe make our own meals. We learn how to, to perform a trade. We can make money. And then we start to think we can take care of ourselves. And then we start to think that we don't need anybody else. And that's where it gets dangerous. Because just because we can make money, just because we can buy clothes, we can make food, it doesn't mean that we can take care of everything that we need to take care of. Somewhere along the line, we learn to do a few things on, on our own, and we start to, do, to think that we can do all things on our own. But that's not how the verse goes. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I think too many times we forget the second half, the important half of that verse. Jesus, thankfully, isn't done talking here. He goes on and he helps them to understand what it means to be humble, what it means to have humility, to get past that window of pride. Verse 5. Jesus goes on and says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone tied around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's, uh, that's pretty intense. 
For Jesus said, Jesus doesn't often threaten people. It's something that you don't see him doing. It's not a, a common thing that he does, but here he does. He says, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it'd be better for you to be drowned. It'd be better for you just to, to die the worst death possible. But before that, he says the first step in humility is other people. He tells us specifically that people need us. And we have to be willing to give of ourselves to them. If we are to follow Jesus in terms of humility, we have to welcome the weaker people. And, so, and we don't want to do that. It's natural for us to seek out people who seem like they have it all together. To seek out people who seem like they know what's going on. Who look like they've got it figured out. Jesus doesn't tell us anything about them. It's the people who are still figuring it out who we should welcome. The people who, like we said before, like a child, know that they don't have it all together. God wants us to look for those people who are searching, who are looking, who are asking questions. Find those people. Welcome them. Talk to them. Get to know them. Build relationships with them. And you know what? Sometimes this is tough. Because sometimes people act well, like children. And in Jesus' time, that's basically what children were, where they were kind of a nuisance. They were a mouth to feed until they were old enough to earn their keep. People had children mostly because they needed them to work the farm, to work the land, to, so that they could try to get out of debt. Well, we act like children today, too. And people do it in different ways, but sometimes we talk too much. Sometimes we don't pay attention. Sometimes we wander off, we misbehave, we're selfish, we're annoying. And these are the people that, that God says that we're supposed to welcome. The people that we might not want to be around all the time. God says welcome them. And then take care of them. Teach them the right things to do. Answer their questions. Jesus calls us to welcome these kind of people, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because he loves them. He loves us. And because he loves you, he keeps on going and teaching us how to be humble. And he tells us the hard stuff. And this is, Matthew 18 has some of the most intense teachings of Jesus. If you read it, the, the images that he uses are, are pretty intense and they're, they're deep, they're hard. In verses 7 to 9, it says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. You know what? I like my hands. They may not be the best hands. They may not be the biggest hands, the strongest hands, but they haven't really let me down so far. You know, I've got the scratches and the scrapes and the scars to prove it. We've been through a lot together. And I like my feet. You know, I'm still walking, I'm still standing, I can run, I can jump. I really like my eyes. I like especially having two so that I can see depth perception and stuff. That's, 
I really, I thank God every day that I, he blessed me with good vision. I'm guessing that Jesus liked his hands and feet and his eyes too. And that his followers did too. In fact, most of the people around there probably had all of those things working because in those days, if you had one eye, chances are you were a beggar. If you had one hand, you were a beggar. If you had one foot, you were a beggar if you lived that long. There were no prosthetic hands and feet. There were, if you were born with one eye or lost one eye, that's it. I mean, you, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can't do anymore and you're kind of out. Humility means hard, personal sacrifice. That you make a choice to sacrifice. It's not real. God doesn't say, if your hand causes it to sin, he's going to cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, he's going to cut it off. That would be a punishment. This isn't a punishment. This is a sacrifice. God says, whatever is there in our life that causes us to sin, we need to cut it. We need Whatever that causes, we need to just cut that cause out of our life. And that means sacrificing something that we might really enjoy, that we might really like. I don't have cable in my house, and I don't have pay movie channels in my house, and I never will. I really like movies. And there have been times when I've had pay movie channels in my house, and I really liked just, oh, look, there's a movie on, and you get to watch the whole movie in one thing. There's no commercials, and there's good movies on there. But I also know that there's not good movies on there. And there's stuff that, that I'm going to be tempted to watch that I know that I shouldn't watch. So for that reason, I made a decision that I will never have pay movie channels in my house. There are certain places that I won't go. There are certain people that I've been friends with in my life that I don't talk to anymore because I know that they lead me to do things that I'd rather not do, that I shouldn't do. So I had to make a decision to cut those things out of my life. And that's hard. I mean, I really like movies. If you go and you look, I have a huge DVD collection. It's something that I spend money on. I love going to the movies. I love learning different things. I love stories. And movies are the way that stories are told most times these days. It wasn't like, oh, I'm happy that I'm not going to have movies anymore. That was a big thing for me. There are things... They were all called to sacrifice for the greater good. What things in our life lead us to sin? Are there certain people that you know whenever you're with them you tend to talk about other people? Or are there certain people that you know you always lie to? Or when you're with someone you just wind up losing control of your language and you talk a certain way that you'd rather not? Why do we still hang around them? I think sometimes this is where pride comes in. We say, we can handle it. I'm working on it. I'm getting there. Eventually, I'll handle it. We tell ourselves, we have it under control. We can do it. We feel, or we feel like we're entitled to things. I mean, I 
worked long and hard. I had a great job before. I have enough money that I could pay for those movie channels. It's my right, right? I, I earned the money. I... Why shouldn't I be able to enjoy them? There are a lot of eyes in that line of thinking, but no gods. That's pride. We're looking at how it's going to impact us and our happiness and our sense of fulfillment instead of how it's going to play a part in our journey to follow God. That's pride. Putting ourselves in place of what God wants. It's how humility and sacrifice come together. Don't ask what you want or what you think or what you might deserve. Our focus should be on what helps us to follow God better. If there's something there that's in the way, no matter how much we like it, no matter how much we feel we deserve it, it needs to go. Anything that doesn't move you in the right direction towards God is moving you in the wrong direction, which is away from God. Finally, we get to what the heart of the matter. And it's, in your Bible, if you're looking, it's broken up and it's put in the next section with the parable of the lost sheep. And I think that's really unfortunate. Because I think it goes right along with what Jesus has said so far. In verse 10, Jesus has something else to say about how pride keeps us from him. In verse 10, he says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. He tells us, don't look down. It's easy to look down on others. It's too easy. And it makes us judgmental, but that's not the worst part. The worst part is, if we're looking down on others, we're not looking inside at ourselves. Pride tells us that the problems we read about in the Bible, or the problems that we hear people talk about, are other people's problems. Pride tells us that the instructions we find for other, in the Bible are for other people. That I've already got that taken care of. I don't need to read that part. That, it's not about me. Or that when you read about a sin in the, in the Bible, oh, I know somebody who does that. And chances are, sitting here this morning, that's happened. You've said, oh, I know somebody who's prideful. I know somebody who thinks of others, thinks of themselves before they think of others. I know somebody who hangs out with people that they shouldn't hang out with. I know somebody who does things who should cut this out of their life, but they just don't do it. I'm not talking to you about them this morning. I'm talking to you about you. And when Jesus tells us not to look down on other people, he's also telling us to look inside ourselves, to examine ourselves. It's hard to look at ourselves. It's easy to look at other people because it makes us feel better. Looking at ourselves can make us feel a little worse. It can be embarrassing. It's hard to look at ourselves and see our imperfections. But that's humility. To say, you know what, I, that's something that I do. That's something that I have to work on. 
This is what we're called to do. And the biggest part of humility, the hardest part of humility, is realizing our faults, looking at our cracks, the things that aren't perfect in us, and then asking God and asking other people for help with them. Because it's one thing for us to look at ourselves and say, okay, I'm doing this wrong, but then to go to someone else and say, hey, I, I need your help because I do this wrong, Whew. that's hard. But that's humility, and that's what we're called to do. Jesus starts this whole section in, that we've been talking about. The first thing he says is that we have to welcome people who are looking, people who are searching, people who don't have it all together. And then he goes through and he finishes by saying, look at yourself. You don't have it all together. Those people who we're supposed to welcome, it's us. When he tells us to welcome the weaker people, it's the people who are humble, the people who are willing to, to look for help and to be helped, to learn. It's when we don't do this, when we won't look at or admit that we are broken, that we have problems, that we really, really start to have problems. There's a book out now that I'm reading called Unchristian. It's a good book. It's an interesting book. And what it is, is um, it's basically research that they did. They went out and uh, interviewed, talked to a whole bunch of non-Christians, mostly young people who are non-Christians, and said, what do you think about the church? What do you think church people are like, Christian church people? Number one response, they're hypocrites. They're judgmental. All they care about is getting converts. They don't really care about people. It says a lot about what we as the church are doing wrong. The biggest thing that it says is that people see the church as full of hypocrites. And I think part of fixing that problem is saying, yeah, you're right. Sometimes I talk about things and I don't do them. I don't have it all together. Because if we don't admit the fact that, that we do that, it's never going to change. And it's pretty obvious if you look at the fact that 81% of people who are not Christians say that the church is full of hypocrites, that we're not really fooling everybody as much as we think we are. I'm going to read you a little excerpt that was written by Margaret Feinberg. She's an author and speaker, and she wrote this in, in response to some of the, the research that they have. She called it, We Need Help. She says, We're labeled hypocritical because we are. I know I'm a hypocrite, and I'm not sorry for it. I have this thing called sin, which is like a disease, or it gives me a lot of dis-ease, woven into the fabric of my being. I didn't ask for it, I don't want it. More often than not, the sin manifests itself in the form of self-destructive behavior. So if I look a little inconsistent on the outside, you can only imagine what's going on inside. As for dealing with the perception, I think we've got to get honest with ourselves and others and admit not just to the hypocrisy, but to the fact that we need help. I know in my own life, I've opened myself up to friends, even when it stings, 
pointing out my hypocrisy. Slowly, it's helping, but I have a long way to go. She goes on and says, I thought that becoming a follower of Jesus would help me kick the sin habit, providing the inoculation or the shot I needed, but in some ways the symptoms have just grew worse. I realized how much I was infected and how it was affecting my attitude, my relationships, my life. So the truth is that I'm fighting. I'm fighting sin with everything I've got. Some days I fare better than others. Odds are that if you're calling me a hypocrite, then you caught me on one of my worst days. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I let you down and disappointed you. But the truth is that I'm not giving up or letting go. I've encountered a God who promises that the battle ends in victory, life instead of death. So call me crazy, but I'm holding on to that promise. I'm also trying to uphold the standards God has set. They're pretty high, and some days I just find myself laying on the ground, staring at the ceiling. But then I feel an urge, an energy to get up and fight once again. I could use your help. The next time you see me behaving like a hypocrite, pull me aside and gently let, gently let me know. I'd really appreciate it. To me, she's not a hypocrite. To me, she's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. She's not looking down on others. She's looking at herself and saying, I have the problem with sin. And I think if we're honest and look at ourselves, we know we all have a problem with sin. And then she asks for help. She's open, she admits it, and she asks for help. And the whole time, she's struggling. And she says, if you see me mess up, come and let me know. The three things that Jesus talks about here are things that she did, and they're things that we need to do as well. Because if we keep trying to do them on our own, to say, I've got it under control, I can handle it, it's like that bird. We're going to keep running into that window over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of that window. My head's starting to hurt. And as we start a new year, instead of looking around at other people and saying, oh, they've got problems, or instead of saying, well, you know, I really, I want to stop doing that, but... I also really like this. And instead of saying, well, you know, they're just not worth the time, they're not worth the effort. Will you join me this year in following, searching for, striving for God's goal of humility? Instead of saying, what, what do I want? What would make me happy? What, what would make God happy? Jim's going to come forward and, leading and lead us in our closing song, but I want you to think about that, not just today, but as you leave. It's a new year. Who are you going to follow this year? Are you going to follow you, or are you going to follow God? Are you going to follow his goals, or are you going to follow your own goals?